I closed out Friday's episode wishing you a good weekend full of Toronto Blue Jay victories. Well, how sweet it is. And today in the Locked On Blue Jay podcast, we'll take a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of what we saw in the Blue Jays' return from the All-Star break, plus a deep dive into what I would say is the goodness that is the Toronto Blue Jays' schedule for the second half of this season. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays. Yes, indeed, been Locked On Blue Jays ever since I can remember in my life. Toronto Blue Jay baseball, a big deal for me. It's, it's a big deal for my family as well. I certainly thank you for spending part of your day talking Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. The Locked On Blue Jay podcast, the only Toronto Blue Jay daily podcast, and of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Reminder that all the Blue Jay games this season are available for you on SiriusXM. And if you're taking in today's episode on the Locked On Blue Jay YouTube page, hello and thank you for that. And to the everydayers making the Locked On Blue Jay podcast your first podcast listen every day, hello and thank you as well. Blue Jays took care of business this past weekend that lets you and I take a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of what took place. And let's start with the good. Three-game sweep. There's some good in there, right? Absolutely, yes. We'll start with Jose Barrios. Barrios touched for seven hits in five and a third innings pitch, very likely pulled too early in that game by John Schneider, but gave up just the one run in his ERA overall down to now 341, 3.41 on the season. Remember, Jose Barrios had the worst ERA in baseball last season at 5.27, so he's knocked almost two full points off of that ERA. Last for ERA last season, currently 24th in all of baseball for ERA, 10th in the American League. Jose Barrios has gone from the worst ERA in baseball to top 10 in the American League the following season. Absolutely loving it. Speaking of absolutely loving it, the hound on the mound, Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett forced into action on Saturday when Kevin Gosman missed his start. Now, Bassett also gave up seven hits. And now the only blunder in, in his game was because he, he did give up the two runs on the seven hits, but really pitched really well. Really, the only blunder, the only reason those two runs even scored was whatever the heck was happening between him and Brandon Belt at first base, like a total miscue that allowed those two runs to score. And they would be the only two runs that Bassett would surrender. That was a 5-2 Blue Jays win on Saturday. Now, between uh, sorry between Barrios and Bassett, also in the good category here, between those two starting pitchers, one total walk allowed. Very well done. Both of those guys have struggled with walks, especially Bassett. One total for the two of them, really well done. Definitely in the good category. The bullpen is in the good category. Now, this is, of course, outside of a rocky ninth inning on Sunday. That's If you saw it, you already know that's coming up in the bad category. But outside of that, my goodness. Jay Jackson. Are we loving Jay Jackson? Friend of the show, right? Friend of the show, Jay Jackson. He faced six batters this weekend, got all of them out, striking three of those six batters out. He got a win as well. He's now 2-0 in the season. All of those wins coming in July. Jay Jackson has now has seven appearances this season for the Toronto Blue Jay in that Aaron Judge home run. Remember that side-eye home run when everyone wondered, was he getting pitches till or whatever that controversy was on that Judge home run? That's the only run Jay Jackson has allowed for the Toronto Blue Jays in 2023. I'm loving Jay Jackson. Nate Pearson, everydayers will know that we've talked about, we've looked at Nate Pearson on back-to-back games. When he pitches back-to-back games, that second game, he's been rocked pretty much every single time. Outside of that, when he gets a, a game off, you know, in between games, he's been cash money for the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, he pitched back-to-back games this weekend and didn't do badly at all. Didn't allow any runs in either one of the starts. 
Uh, each start had a walk and a strikeout in there, but ultimately didn't allow any runs. That's that's the goal, right? So I liked what we saw from Nate Pearson this weekend. And I have to shout out under the good category what we saw this weekend and what we've seen lately from Jimmy Garcia. I felt like Jimmy Garcia was falling out of favor with John Schneider in this bullpen, especially in high leverage situations. But my gosh, you look at today's July 17th. So it was one month ago today. It was June 17th. One month ago today, Jimmy Garcia. Yeah, I keep calling him Jimmy. I know it's Jimmy, right? Jimmy Garcia. That's That's gone back and forth. Ross Atkins insisted it was Jimmy. Now he's come out and, and his agent has said it's Jimmy. So, okay, we're going to go with the agent. We're going to go with Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy Garcia a month ago gave up a home run to Corey Seager. In a, uh, he's had 11 appearances since. That's not allowed to run. One month ago today, over a span of 11 appearances, was the last time that Jimmy Garcia was touched for a run for the Toronto Blue Jays. He is coming on strong as well. Certainly in the good category, a lot of the players offensively. George Springer. Five for 12 over the weekend, throw in a walk, throw in a hit batsman. So he had a 500 on base percentage this weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays. Is that good out of your leadoff spot? My goodness. How about Bo? Bo had four hits this weekend, including a home run. Vlad had three hits this weekend, including a home run. He had three runs scored and had a very important sack fly in Sunday's win. And that that play that, I mean, I think Danny Jansen gets a lot of the credit for that for that really important pickoff that, that Jansen and Vlad pulled off on Sunday's game. That was with the the tying run at second base and the potential go-ahead run. They picked him off to end that inning there. Just an incredible throw by Jansen. We'll get to that in a moment here, but a great job on that play as well from Vladdy. Matt Chapman. Man, would we like to see Matt Chapman get back to being hot now? He, he had an 0 for on Sunday, but for the series, he was 4 for 11 with two doubles. And the only reason it wasn't three doubles, and the only reason he had the 0 for on Sunday, is because Arizona played some defense against him on Sunday. In particular, you remember his first at bat, Lord just absolutely robbed him of not just a double, of an RBI double. I mean, that, 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 that could have had the Blue Jays in flight. Shout out to Jerry Howard. That's what he would say in that scenario. But yeah, the only thing that kept Matt Chapman away from, from five hits and three doubles this weekend was the Arizona defense. So my goodness, can we say Matt Chapman is back? Because I'm saying Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is back. Can we say Chapman's back? That would be massive. Brandon Belt only played two of the three games, but three for six with two walks. Brandon Belt doing what Brandon Belt does. He When he played, he got on base. Whit Merrifield. Whoa. Ow, did he have a weekend coming off that all-star break for an all-star appearance, right, for, for Whit Merrifield. We, he was 5 for 11 on the series in total. We saw two-hit wit on Friday. We saw two-hit wit on Saturday. We saw two-run wit on Sunday. And his on-base percentage for the series, 500. Wow, firmly in the good category. Also in the good category, some good defense, but the three for six with a walk as well for Kevin Kiermaier. Good to see him back doing well. Danny Jansen had some hits this weekend. He also caught uh, caught two good games, called two good games, plus played incredible defense. Again, that Sunday pickoff with two on and two out to protect that one-run lead, absolutely massive, absolutely massive. Arizona challenged it. You could see the, the guy was out, but it would have taken the most perfect throw possible. Dan, Danny Jansen couldn't have walked the ball to Vlad any better than that throw was. So Arizona sitting there saying, man, it, it would have taken an absolutely breathtaking throw to get this guy out. It does look like he's out, but we might as well challenge. We might as well try to like, was it a perfect throw? Well, <laughs> replay confirms, yeah, it was a perfect throw. It was absolutely incredible. We saw good defense this weekend as well from Dalton Varshow. Again, talked about earlier about Kevin Kiermaier. Good, good. As, so I should say as per usual, right? As per usual this weekend, we saw good defense from Dalton Varshow. As per usual this weekend, we saw good defense from Kevin Kiermaier. 
Matt Chapman. Again, really good offensively this weekend from Chapman, but so steady and so solid and so good defensively this weekend, Matt Chapman was. And how about that play Tim Mesa made on that Sunday? He, absolute gem. Corbin Carroll, left-handed stud batter for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, trying to pull a Dalton Varshow as a left-handed batter with that pull bunt to, to get on base and does a great job too. I mean, he really bunted that thing really well. As it was happening, as it's going live, I'm sitting there saying there's no possible way. I didn't even think Tim Meza could get to the ball, let alone be able to make a play. All of a sudden, not only does he get to the ball, but then he flicks the ball to Vlad from his glove, just from his glove, and flicks it to Vlad for the out in a bang-bang play at first base. It was a gorgeous play. You know, I know the Blue Jays would go on to, to blow the game open a little bit late on Sunday, but man, it, it was nip and tuck for most of the game. So a lot of these defensive plays we're talking about came in really key moments on Sunday that, that helped lead to the sweep for the Blue Jays. Coming up on Locked On Blue Jay podcast, we get into the bad and the ugly from this past weekend. And the Jays are off today, but if they were playing, of course, you could catch them on SiriusXM. Now, I wanted to mention a fun and exciting new sponsor we have here, Sleeper. Sleeper is a fantasy sports plus real money gaming app focusing on bringing people together through sports and gaming. Sleeper has become the fastest organically growing fantasy platform in the world. Over 5 million active users last year alone, while earning some of the highest levels of engagement per user in the industry. At Sleeper, it's not just about sports, it's about building personal connections and lasting memories. Want to win up to 100 times your money with Daily Fantasy? Well, Sleeper now offering up to 100 time payout for up to eight pick contests. So you choose as many as eight players that you like, and then you pick more or less of your favorite baseball player stats, things like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get the picks right, you could win big. I also like the built-in group chat functionality where you can see and copy your group's picks with just the tap of a button. Your entries can be made in 30 seconds or less. It, it is that easy. And what's important to me, safe and fast withdrawals. Use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. How about the bad category? Are there things in the bad category? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed there are. That ninth inning, right? Have to mention that ninth inning on Sunday. That's a 7-2 to game that all of a sudden in the ninth inning, the tying run comes to the plate. In fairness to Mitch White, I'll say this. He probably wasn't, you know, mentally ready to come in. It's 7-2 to going into the uh, – uh, sorry, it's, it's uh, you know, it becomes 7-2 to in the bottom of the eighth. The Blue Jays blow it open in the bottom of the eighth, so it looks like you need somebody now all of a sudden, just like that, you need someone for the mop-up role. Here comes Mitch White. Probably wasn't anticipating that he would be in that game. He could not hang on, and the Jays do have to go to the bullpen. They do have to bring in and use Eric Swanson. There's a day off, on, you know, today, right on the Monday, but it's still not – not ideal to have to use Swanson when you hoped, you know, you had a big lead and hoped you wouldn't have to use Swanson, especially because you need Swanson to step in right now, depending how long Jordan Romano is going to be out. So that, so that wasn't great. That goes in the bad category for sure. Now I praised the bullpen earlier in the good category, but I've got Trevor Richards in the bad category. Now you, he didn't, you know, blow up or, or, or things along those lines. But I, I would we agree, Trevor Richards this weekend, he pitched a couple games and man, he just he wasn't as sharp as he's been. That's what I would say about Trevor Richards. That's why I have him in the bad category. He just wasn't as sharp as he has been. Also in the bad category, and this is certainly no fault of the Toronto Blue Jays, but it, I mean, has to be mentioned. The Toronto Blue Jays sweep the weekend series. They gain one game on the Tampa Bay Rays, and they gain zero games on the Baltimore Orioles. Baltimore Orioles, by the way, have won, what, what, I think that's eight in a row now, eight in a row now. They're one game behind the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, holy moly, the whole trajectory of the second half 
is starting to really get wonky in the American League East because the entire first half, everybody was trying to plot and figure out how they're going to catch the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, are things going to change, you know, at some point in the second half of the season where people need to start plotting and, and figuring out how they're going to catch the Baltimore Orioles? Really incredible. The little things that John Schneider keeps vowing that he's going to improve on this team. Well, the little things were bad again this weekend. Base running blunders continued. Defensive miscues continued. Uh, defensive mental laps continued. Yeah, the little things that John Schneider keeps insisting he's going to improve for the Toronto Blue Jays team. We are still left waiting for those improvements to be on display. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno. I mean, they each had a great series. I put that in the bad category because it further amplifies the whole comparison between them and Dalton Varsho because Dalton Varsho was terrible this weekend. He was two for eight. He was two for eight. And unfortunately, we've got more on Dalton Varsho coming in the ugly category. But yeah, he was two for eight this weekend. Again, now Varsho was in the good category for his defense. Right? It's always going to be his calling card, right? But you're going to see, you're going to see in the ugly category that his bat, I mean, it has been atrocious and it needs to be significantly better. And finally, in the bad category, not a great series for, for dings, like getting dinged up, right? Springer got hit by a pitch. I felt like Vlad fouled a bunch that somehow just barely uh, avoided, barely missed his shin guard. I felt like Vlad was, was fouling it off his shin bone quite a few times this weekend. And of course, and this had nothing to do with the weekend, but still, it's got to go in the bad category, Gosman and Romano. You're counting on Gosman for a Saturday start, and you're counting on Romano to be, to be available. So I know it had nothing to do with this weekend's events, but still, it's in the bad category when you're looking for Gosman. He's not available. You're looking for Romano. He's not available. And now let's look at the ugly category, looking at the good, bad, and ugly from what we saw this weekend from the Toronto Blue Jays. It was a three-game sweep, but there was some bad, and there was some ugly. Yusei Kikuchi on Sunday did not make it out of the fifth inning. Kikuchi came into Sunday start having allowed just eight walks over his last seven starts, but walked three on Sunday. Kikuchi last season hit nine batters. This season, he had only hit one batter. On Sunday, he hit two batters alone. Oh, my goodness. Add on to that, Kikuchi had a throwing error that led to a run. That's ugly. Add on to that, Kikuchi had a wild pitch that allowed another run to score. I mean, that's ugly. And overall, bigger pitcher-wise, boy, Hyunjin Ryu, we may be looking forward to you coming back here because and every dayers will know we've talked about this about Kikuchi before. It's the reason I'm not a Kikuchi fan. It's the reason I'm not a Kikuchi believer. I've seen him have a great first half before. That 2021 first half he had was excellent. And then in the second half, 2020 of 2021, he was the second worst pitcher in the game, the second worst pitcher in baseball. He was atrocious. So he usually is really bad, but even the one season that that he had some good moments, the second half of the season, he was awful. So I'm starting to get a little concerned about Kikuchi because this is now three starts in July for you say Kikuchi. He's totaled 14 innings pitched, 17 hits in those 14 innings. 10 runs allowed, 10 earned runs, 11 runs, but 10 earned runs in those 14 July innings so far. So Kikuchi in July has an ERA of 6.43, UGLY. Dalton Varsho, boy, oh boy. Again, you know, I mentioned the two for just two for eight in the series. That's bad. So why is he in the ugly category? Well, that two for eight puts him at 167 at Rogers Center this season. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I have to repeat that. It's it's so incredible, it has to be repeated. Dalton Barshow in front of the home crowd this season is hitting 167. I am literally submitting to you that you or I could do better than that, and I'm not even playing. like That is just such, such, such a putrid number. Remember, for, for most of the season, the 
the conversation as far as the Blue Jays at home was concerned was, hey, where's where's Vlad? Where's Vlad's power? Where's Vlad's home run production? Remember, for the longest time, Vlad didn't have any home runs at Rogers Center. But what I get about two weeks ago now, got a couple in that Oakland series. Well, Vlad. Remember, the conversation all season long was, where's Vlad's home runs at home? Well, Vlad now has four home runs at home. He's past Dalton Varshow. Dalton Varshow's at three. Dalton Varshow hitting 167 at home with three home runs. U-G-L-Y. Alejandro Kirk. We all love Alejandro Kirk, right? What's not to love? Well, these days, the what's not to love is his uh, his offense. My goodness. Kirk in the, over the weekend was one for seven. Since last season's All-Star break, Alejandro Kirk is 98 for 411. That's a 238 batting average. Yes, since last season's All-Star break. So second half of last season, first half of this season, Alejandro Kirk, who should be a very good hitter on the major league level, is hitting 238. Over that same span, so practically a full season, Six home runs. Now, Alejandro Kirk is never going to be a guy that lights up the home run, you know, leader. But I get that. Absolutely true. But six? Second half of last season, first half of this season, Alejandro Kirk, six home runs? My goodness. Last season, the Blue Jays' catcher produ- uh, uh, spot was their number one offensive producer. This season, last. 2022, the catchers for the Toronto Blue Jays were their number one offensive producers. This season, Last, the catchers this season for the Toronto Blue Jays don't don't even combine for a 300 on base percentage. A 300 on base percentage is terrible. The catchers would have to catch fire for the Blue Jays just to get up to terrible. Last season for the Blue Jays, the catchers had a 360 on base percentage. Again, number one in the entire team, not even at 300 so far this season. UG. L-Y, my goodness. I mean, we know Kikuchi needs to be, be needs to be better. We know we need Gosman and Romano to get back healthy, but also need the catchers, in particular Alejandro Kirk, to be significantly better going forward offensively. Now on the Lockdown Blue Jay podcast, let's deep dive the ins and outs of the Toronto Blue Jays schedule for the rest of the way. Everydayers know we've deep dived the schedule and we looked at the fact that the Toronto Blue Jays in the first half of the season is as difficult to schedule as I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's nothing nefarious. I mean, you know, nothing like that is in play, right? It's all because of the, the renovations to the Rogers Center. But the first half of the season was road heavy. There were large stretches of days in there with no days off. Like just, just an incredibly difficult schedule in the first half for the Toronto Blue Jays as well. It's a balanced schedule, right? All teams are playing the same schedule this season, playing playing opponents the same amount of time. It's a balanced schedule now. So if it was an absolute bear, an absolute beast in the first half of the season, well, it must it must even out. It must soften out in the second half of the season, and that's precisely what, what's going to happen here. So we really looked at the fact that the Blue Jays just need to not tread water. Treading water with such a hard schedule wasn't going to be good enough because of how good the American League East is, and we've seen that play out. But the, to to stay involved in the playoff race, that was going to be the key to being striking distance because there are a lot of schedule wins in the second half of the Toronto Blue Jays. There's a, there's a lot of games in the second half where the Blue Jays, just by showing up on time for the game, should be able to, to come up with a win. In fact, you know, the, the, the Blue Jays will play the Chicago Cubs in mid-August, and it's possible by then that they could be in last place. I mean, I know St. Louis is just just horrible and, and probably going to be making a lot of moves. So who knows if that'll be the case, but the Cubs could be in last place when the Blue Jays play them. And if that is the case, then that means in the second half of the season, the Toronto Blue Jays will play the last place team in all six 
divisions. I mean, even if the Cubs aren't in last place, right? They're still playing the lowly Cubs. They're playing a lot of cellar dwellers in the second half of this season. No team plays more home games going forward to finish the season than the Toronto Blue Jays, currently at 26 and 18 at home. The Padres are, are in for three starting tomorrow. We're going to deep dive and get set for that series, of course, on Tuesday's show. After that, there's a six-game West Coast road trip. Now, the Blue Jays have played, have only been on the West Coast for three games. It was earlier this season. They took two out of three from the Angels in L.A. It's going to be a three-gamer at Seattle and then a three-gamer at the Dodgers. Now, that three-gamer at Seattle, I'm going to say fairly important. The Seattle Mariners are desperate to try to get back in the race right now. Ironically speaking, Teoscar Hernandez could be a great fit for this Blue Jay team right now. So if the Jays can do damage, if they can go in there and take two out of three, really, for all intents and purposes, eliminate Seattle, at the very least, eliminate Seattle's chances of passing them in any sort of wild card scenario. Maybe Teo becomes available. Like there, there could be ramifications from this series. And even if they aren't, I'm really going to be watching this series. I mean, very close, you know, <laughs> locked on Blue Jays, right? We watch all the series closely, but in particular this one, because the Blue Jays, you know, in Seattle, this is where all, when all the fans go, right? This is when all the West Coast fans go down to see the Blue Jays and they invade uh, I, I, Safeco Field, I still call it, but they invade the ballpark there in Seattle. And it's an incredible, it's, it's like a home crowd for the Blue Jays. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, over the last three seasons, over the last 10 games, the Jays have won just twice in Seattle. I mean, they've they've treated this incredible home atmosphere, this incredible fan base, to just two wins in the last 10. And last season, you remember it was a four-game sweep, and all four of the games were as ugly as possible. The first game was a blowout. The second game was a walk-off. The, and then the last two games in the bottom of the eighth inning, Carlos Santana, no, and, and I think he even walked one off, actually. Carlos Santana kept hitting game-winning home runs against him. You, you remember that last season? It was so ugly heartbreaking heartbreaking for the blue jay fan base in fact it was such a heartbreaking series that you remember what happened directly after that the blue jays moved on from charlie montoyo the blue jays fired montoyo that's how bad that series was uh, in in seattle last season so really my goodness need a bounce back this season then going to three at the dodgers now we talk about the schedule really opening up in the second half well this isn't an example of that this is extremely tough over the last three a few weeks only the atlanta braves have been hotter than the la dodgers Dodgers are on a 7-2 and two run at home. Now, here's some good news for the Blue Jays. Mon the, 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 that series, the Blue Jays at the Dodgers, is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Now, the Dodgers on Sunday, late Sunday at some point, will be coming home from a nine-game road trip. Yeah, the Dodgers come out of the All-Star break on a nine-game road trip, and they have no days off from getting home to when they play the Blue Jays. So on that Monday night... The Blue Jays need to strike and, and take advantage of that. I really need to try to get some wins and, and have a good series against a very, very good L.A. Dodger team. After that, we'll see the end of July and the opening of August happen. It's a seven-game homestand, three against the Angels. Angels under 500 currently, going to still be likely without Mike Trout. Let's see what, I mean, and this is right around the trade deadline as well, right? So, I mean, the 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 distractions that are going to be going on for the uh, LA Angels are going to be epic. Blue Jays should do well there. And then a four-gamer at home against the Baltimore Orioles. Wow. This is a big one. This is a big one. Blue Jays just one in five versus the Orioles this season. That four-gamer, it could decide, or it, it could, let's put it this way. I think that four-gamer against the open up August, I think it could go a long, long, long way in determining if the Blue Jays can catch the Baltimore Orioles this season. One and five against the Orioles so far, right? If the Jays can take three out of four, that's going to be a two-game boost in the standings. Okay, okay. 
okay, maybe maybe the Blue Jays are going to be able to make move on the Orioles. If it's a split series, or if 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 God forbid the you know Orioles take three out of four or four out of four, my gosh, in this series, then how on earth are the Blue Jays, you know, with with that much time left in the season, going to be able to catch Baltimore? It's just not going to happen. So I'm going to make a bold prediction about this series. And it's it start. I think literally it's July 31st is the first game, but the, it it really it it opens up August, and for either Baltimore or Toronto, I'm going to predict Marcus Stroman is involved in that series. I I don't know that the Blue Jays will pick up Stroman in a trade. It, it would actually shock me, but I, I'm. I could see the Orioles making a move for Stroman. And, and you know what? I'm going to correct myself. It wouldn't shock me. I should say it wouldn't shock me if the Blue Jays made a move for Stroman. So I'm going to make that bold prediction right here, right now, July 17th, Lockdown Blue Jay podcast, that the four-game series between Baltimore and Toronto to open up August involves somehow either pitching for the Jays or pitching for the Orioles, Marcus Stroman. Now, directly after that, no days off. It's directly after that. They go on a seven-game road trip. Boston for three. Oh boy, remember the Blue Jays had a nine-game road trip earlier that started in Boston for four. Boston swept all four, my goodness. Then Cleveland for four. Now, this is after the trade deadline. So I gotta think, could Cleveland be an easy opponent here? Cleveland's already an under 500 team, and they they could be having some sort of, you know, at least an abbreviated fire sale. I could see them being sellers, absolutely sellers at the trade deadline. Now, this this stretch finishes off with a three-game uh, homestand against the Chicago Cubs. So certainly. That Boston series could be difficult for the Blue Jays, but then seven straight against Cleveland and the Cubs that should be extremely winnable games. Now comes over the next eight games as we head to the end of April, three days off for the Blue Jays. I mean, you talk about a time to get some rest, relaxation, and and set up your rotation for how you want it to be most effective for the stretch run for September, for, for for the pennant race. The schedule, as as hard as the schedule was on the Blue Jays, you know, all the way up until the end of August, having three days off at the end of August, pretty, pretty, pretty good, as Larry David would say. Now, after those three days off, or, or sorry, as part of those three days off, then they're at Baltimore for three. Now, that ends their season series with the Orioles. If they've done well in that four-game homestand, then the fate of can they catch the Orioles probably is, is going to come down to this series. Now, truth be told, the fate of can they catch the Orioles could already be determined by the end of August because they're just so sort of hot right now. Then check out, Keep talk, I keep saying how, I mean, already we see an easier schedule there, right? But when I'm talking about the second half of the schedule open up, here's what I'm really getting at. Check out what happens to end August and open September. That's the stretch run. That's the pennant drive, right? As August ends, here comes September. That's the pennant race month. Three versus Cleveland. Three versus Washington. Those are those are both at home. Cleveland, again, probably going to be a very lowly team by that point. Washington's already a lowly team. They're last place in the NL East. Then they go on the road. Blue Jays go on the road for six. Three at the last place, Colorado Rockies. Three at the last place, Oakland A's. The Colorado Rockies are not just last place in their division. They're last place in the National League. The Oakland A's are not just last place in their division. They're last place in the American League. Then a 10-game homestand. After after that easy stretch, they have a 10-game homestand, three versus Kansas City, then four versus Texas, and three versus the Red Sox. Now, those four versus Texas are going to be difficult, and those three versus the Red Sox, we'll see where the Red Sox are in that, in the standings there. But check out the 15 games. that. So that's a stretch of, of, a, of about three weeks there, two and a half weeks, that closes August and opens September. It's 15 straight games against teams under 500. 
It's the worst team in the NL, the Rockies. It's the worst team in the AL, the A's. And the only reason Kansas City isn't the worst team in the AL is because of the A's. They're in there as well. So as we said, they're seller dwellers on the schedule in the second half for the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays. That's that 15-game stretch. When I joke that there should be a lot of wins in the second half just from the Blue Jays showing up for the game on time, well, that 15-game stretch, even if there's some stumbling going on, at, to close July and to open August, even if there's some stumbling that goes on for the Toronto Blue Jays, that 15-game stretch right there that closes August and opens September, man, that is the cure for what ails a contending team. Incredible. Now, the, all of that, all of that sets up what could be, and I think we can predict will be an epic final two weeks of the season for the Toronto Blue Jays. In the last two weeks of the season, I don't know if you've seen this from the schedule yet. If you're an everydayer, you know we've talked about this before, but in the final two weeks of the season, the Blue Jays play only the New York Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. September 19th through September 24th, the Blue Jays have three at Yankee Stadium, then three at Tropicana Field, then a day off, which takes us to the final week of the season where the Jays will host the Yankees for three and close the season by hosting the Rays for three. I mean, as it stands currently, the Yankees are in last place, so they could be playing prospects by then. You know, if, if I had to predict, I would say the Yankees will be in the mix, in fact, for those last two weeks. But again, currently, we are currently living in a world where the Yankees have injuries are and are in last place. So even that potentially epic last two weeks of the season, hopefully the schedule works out where where it, it's it's a um, – I was going to say arrested, not arrested Yankees team, but but a, a Yankee team that's – that is still injured. I know that's hard to cheer for, but it is, is playing their, their uh, prospects in that because they are out of the race. Fingers crossed on that. And as we lay out the schedule in the second half, you see, again, I say, you know, so many uh, schedule win opportunities. Yes. But ultimately, you know, big picture wise, that's the schedule itself. But I mean, what has to happen? What has to happen for the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays in the second half of the season? They've got to be significantly better against the American League East foes. They've got 25 games left against American League East foes. They've played 27 already. In those first 27 games against the AL East, the Jays have but seven wins. And remember, of course, that started with breaking Tampa Bay's winning streak, right? Taking two out of three from Tampa and taking two out of three from the Yankees. That's how the schedule for the Blue, the AL East schedule for the Blue Jays started this season. So let's do some quick math there. That's four and two. So they are three and eight. Oh my God. So in the next 20, in the last 21 games against the American League East, last 21 games against division foes, Blue Jays have three wins. If I can go ahead and state the obvious here, not going to cut it. That's a wrap for Monday's episode. Tune in tomorrow as we get set for the San Diego Padres series plus trivia Tuesday. Have a great Monday and go Jays go.